Welcome to another episode of Acts of a Blood God, an independent RPG podcast. I'm your host, Kat Bailey. Joining me as always is my lovely co-host, Nadia Oxford. Nadia, which planeteer did you have a crush on growing up? Uh, who's the jabroni with the red hair? I kind of liked him. Like, I was definitely in that age where I'm noticing, like, oh, I think, like, Link is cute in this cartoon. And uh, I was saying, actually, on Twitter the other day about how, when I was a girl, I was always a little bit, like, you know, ashamed that I had a crush on a, a cartoon character or a game character. But nowadays, like, I want to, I wanna, like, go back to my past self and pull her into, the free, into this timeline and, like, you know, go to some random suburban mom and say, hey, do you want to sleep with Skeletor? And that mom would literally probably be like, oh, yeah, like in public. So I'd be like, look, look, look at this wonderful future where everyone's a freak. You're not alone, child. You're not alone. <laughs> also joining me mm. is my lovely equally come. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Putting the pits at the start of the show now, huh? <laughs> Get it over with. Also joining me is my equally lovely co-host, Eric Van Allen. Uh, what do I even say as a follow up to that? Yeah, would you can't. sleep with me, Eric? Yeah. What, what Skeletor? I yeah. Mean, yeah, wants to say I did it, but like, ah, good for being open minded. I feel I feel like Skeletor probably gets gets a decent amount that way. Pulls a decent amount. Is that you know? It's the novelty of saying, yeah, I spent a night in uh, what, what's the name of the big castle? Grayskull? Is that what it's called? No. He no. He lives in the um. It, in the bad guy base, I forget what's called the fright zone or something like that. The fright, yeah, one, no, one that's, night in the fright She-Ra. zone, baby. That's what I'm talking about. Snake Mountain, <laughs> that's it. Snake Mountain. Oh, there you go. He lives Snake in Snake Mountain. Mountain. Yeah, it's, it's destined. <laughs> yeah, I I climbed Snake Mountain. All right. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're off to a great start. I think somebody was complaining that this podcast has become too much like Tumblr and. Here's a perfect example of that. Not enough like Tumblr. <laughs> but when we're not being thirsty, we do like to talk about RPGs. And this week we are going to be talking about the RPGs of summer. It's going to be a very chill episode. We're going to be hanging out on the beach, drinking alcohol or lemonade or something, and talking about our memories of playing RPGs in the summer, but then also RPGs with beachy, summery themes that just RPGs that are evocative of summer. It'll be fun. We're gonna, we're gonna hang out. It feels like it feels like we need a little bit of a break from the the real world weather, so to speak. Um, also, we're gonna try something a little different for the Acts of the Blood God post show this week. Um, so Nadia and I misread the schedule and only watched episodes seven, eight, and nine when we were supposed to watch episode ten. And Eric is really mad at us right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so hello. So what mm-hmm. we're going to do, I think, is that we're just going to watch episode 10 live with the Stars of Destiny and do a live commentary. And then afterward, like, we'll share some of our thoughts and everything so that we can all be kind of on the same page. So if you want the full Summer of Korra experience, um, that's on the post show this week. So please look forward. Please look forward to that. In the meantime, uh, if you enjoy the show, please leave us a review on the podcatcher of your choice. I'm on Twitter at the underscore catbot. Nadia's at Nadia Oxford. Eric is at C. Moosey. We're on Patreon at patreon.com slash bloodgodpod. You can buy merch at shop.bloodgodpod.com. And you can get into our Discord and our community for just $1 over on patreon.com slash bloodgodpod. Ad free. All of that stuff. Um, in just a couple of weeks, we are going to be doing a live 
charity stream. Yep, it's back. On July 29th and July 30th, we are going to be hosting another 24-hour charity stream. And here are some of the events that are going to be happening. I'm going to be continuing my Nuzlocke run. Maybe even finishing the game. Might be a little challenging, but we'll see how it goes. We're going to be doing a Street Fighter VI fight club with the little avatars that you can make. We're going to be doing another tier maker. Eric and I are going to be taking us taking each other on in games voted on by the community. We're going to have a Jackbox party. We're going to be playing Zelda, Lord of the Koroks. Uh, that's also going to be at during Final Fantasy uh, 14 Fan Fest. Nadia is going to be on the ground and she's going to be recording live in Charlene Dropouts. And the grand finale, Moonblaze Wolf, will be joining us for a speed run of Final Fantasy X with the no cutscenes mod, and we'll be hanging out and watching with them while this happens. Though they will keep the laughing scene in from mm-hmm, Titus mm-hmm. as a treat. Important. Please join us over on Twitch for the whole dang weekend. It's going to be a blast. We'll be doing a live recording of the show mm-hmm. during that time. We'll have a ton of amazing special guests, and we'll be raising money for a good cause which in this case is Trans Lifeline. So please join us for that. Eric, is there anything you want to add? Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll have giveaways uh, just like last year. We'll have some codes to hand out. We're going to be reaching out to our pals to, to try and get some giveaways. We'll have some stretch goals for content in order to, you know, if we break certain uh, barriers, we've got some really silly content lined up. I think we're trying to keep it a little bit more reasonable than we did last year, so no autumn of avatar this time around <laughs> but yeah. uh we've got some other ideas that i'm i'm pretty excited about on the docket uh that i think will be uh fun to push for and yeah like we're we're trying to keep it a nice even mix of uh stuff we do that is very blood goddy and stuff that's going to bring in a lot of folks from outside blood god can't confirm any or, or too many guests let me say at this point uh, we've got some really exciting names uh who are we're trying to figure out how the scheduling is going to work but uh i say if you if you like our friends of the show maybe even like some of the games we talk about on the show uh then you'll you'll want to tune in for that uh but it's uh it's gonna be fun it's gonna be a good time i'm I'm really looking forward to it. it this is one of my favorite things to put together each year this one's coming together a little bit hot a little bit (laughs) a little bit uh frazzled because uh this summer is not as quiet as video game summers normally are but Mm. uh we're having a good time putting it together and it is coming together pretty fast so uh, we're very excited there's a lot of great folks out there who want to lend their help and and pitch in for a good cause so it's always very heartening to see just two weeks from now all right it's time now for the main quest the rpgs of summer funny when i think about role-playing games the first thing that comes to mind is dungeons snow mm. cold mm. dank forests full of mist I don't necessarily think of summery settings tropical drinks with little umbrellas in them but they exist and so my first question for nadia and eric is what are your memories of playing rpgs in the summer i'll start with you eric yeah my um 
I have talked about this before, but my family used to like to go on road trips and stuff like that when we were younger, um, going up north to visit our family um, or, or to uh, different places that, that we would vacation to. And so uh, my my RPG playing in the summer definitely existed, but it was not on consoles. It was on handhelds. Uh, so Game Boy and the Nintendo DS were primary uh, facilitators for that. Uh, so a lot of my memories of playing stuff in the summer are those RPGs that I really latched onto. And I did like those RPGs a lot because they were things that I could play that would last me a lot of hours, right? You know, I remember one summer I picked up Guilty Gear Advance for the Game Boy Advance because I was like, oh, I love fighting games. I'm going to play Guilty Gear on my Game Boy. And then I was like, <laughs> oh, turns out that yeah. playing this for like an eight hour car ride doesn't really like hit the spot the way that say Mario and Luigi Superstar Saga does, uh, which is one of my favorite summer RPGs because that is, I mean, it's both summery. I feel like it's got summer vibes, but also, uh, boy, that lasted me multiple road trips. So like, I think of the handhelds, I think of sitting in the car, even like you know, sitting by the beach sitting outside, you know, you got some time to kill. Some people crack open a book. I crack open a uh, Game Boy. Little, little Nintendo DS and do my own kind of reading. Yeah, I was playing an OG vacuum tube Game Boy on my road trips to beautiful, sunny Minot, North Dakota <laughs> during the summer. <laughs> Lovely. Yeah. What about you, Nadia? Well, first of all, you people who can actually play games in the car without just barfing everywhere. like Seriously, how... I was kind of the same way. But this is the brilliance the of an yeah. RPG. If you're trying to play a platformer or an action game, 100% going to throw up. But an right. RPG, I can look up periodically. Oh, I, yeah. I just can't. Yeah. I can't handle it. But when I think of RPGs in the summer, I think about the RPGs I kind of played in the summer, which was more console-based. And uh, in my case, uh, Chrono Trigger was a big one for summer, but late summer. Like, uh, I got it, I think, two weeks before the end of September, like, Date time, I, I think I got it ahead of time. Like, dates were kind of weird back then. But I remember playing it through that last kind of quarter of summer where the weather is, is getting, like, it's not cold by any means, but you kind of feel that, like, very slight bite in the air. Mm. And it has a very certain scent, the air, at that time of year. So I kind of associate the two. It's a little melancholy, but also like, oh, well, what are you going to do? Spring will come back. So my RPG memories from the summer... Uh, you may recall the bug apartment. Yeah, good old box bug palace. Oh, the bug apartment. In the summer of 2004, when I was in my bug apartment, I played a lot of games because I had nothing else to do because we didn't have cable or the internet. So I sat on my laptop playing Fire Emblem mm. for the first time. Mm -hmm. Played a lot mm. of Fire Emblem that summer. I rented Tales of Symphonia and mm. got most of the way through it. I played all the way through Pokemon Coliseum. I did mm. all of the challenges in Pokemon Coliseum. And when they did that during SGDQ just recently, boy, oh boy, did I have some big flashback memories from that one. Did they evolve bugs? No. Bugs descending on you, carry you off. <laughs> the, the bugs the swarming across the walls. <laughs> At least I'm playing Pokemon. Wow. <laughs> Carrying me away to be the new queen. Amazing. Um, I also have a lot of memories of being in Japan in like the summer of 2007 and playing um, Pokemon Diamond and Pearl and running a, a league 
where like I had come up with a whole points system for how people win and everything. And there was a whole table of rankings and people were playing against one another. Um, that was super fun. And I was doing like these lengthy blog post uh, style updates that also doubled as kind of a travelogue of my adventures in Japan. Oh, cool. um, if you, I, I haven't checked it back in a bit, but for a long time, you could still find those old posts on the IGN boards from like uh. many, many, many years ago. But yeah, Pokemon was a big one uh, during the summer uh, for me. And then another one is The World Ends With You. Yeah. yeah that's for me as well. Yep, yep, I think yep, we got yep, it all yep, at the same yep. time. Mm-hmm. Which is funny. I, like, I think Eric and I threw that one out at the same time. Cause yeah. like summer 2008, I'm living in Tokyo I'm commuting to work every day during my lunch break I take my DS to the local coffee shop and I'm playing the world ends with you with my headphones on outside the heat is like absolutely sweltering Japan is miserable in the summer it's so, so I've heard humid. like I heard mm. that they don't even have a lot of air conditioning in many places no why uh I don't know because it's fairly it's theoretically fairly temperate um Tokyo is kind of more tropical yeah, that humidity should be illegal. Like I, Toronto yeah. is humid, but Japan is just holy crap. Osaka and Kyoto are even worse, if you can believe Oof. it. Um, as of the recording right now, Bit Summit is taking place, and apparently it's just like so disgusting. Um, mm. I remember taking a shower when I was uh, staying in this hotbox apartment in Kyoto, and literally not being able to dry myself off because the air would just not that dry. So like the towel mm. just got mm. super wet. Mm. <laughs> oh man. Oh, I remember laying awake at like two in the morning, just sweating. It was horrible. There would be a fan going and then getting up and talking and talking to friends in America. Because what else was I going to do? I couldn't sleep Mm -hmm. on AIM. Yeah, good old AIM. Good old AOL Instant Messenger. Those are my some of my summer RPG memories. Um, When you think of RPGs with kind of summary settings. I'm wondering what pops into mind aside from the world ends with you. Uh, for me immediately, and this is an easy answer is Chrono Cross like that. Yeah, there are so few yeah. tropical RPGs and that is definitely like a big one. You go to other biomes, of course, but for the most part, you're in very warm, humid kind of steamy swamps and whatnot it could have been cat's apartment at the time like i don't know but <laughs> the bug apartment <laughs> the bug apartment full of humidity but yeah that's uh that's what i think of um but as i said it, it's very common for a a game to have like maybe like a section in a tropical area and then oh now you're off to snow mountain uh, i actually like how in uh tears of the kingdom and of course breath of the wild I like going between those biomes. I like that Faron is a big tropical area. And like, of course, you have the other areas as well. But I think of Faron as well. It's practically big enough to be its own game universe yeah. anyway. Especially once you head down to like Lurlin and some of the yeah. coastal villages. Absolutely. Um, Final Fantasy X for me. And really, that's another case of their like biomes. Because like Mount Gagazet is not really like summary. But that early start that you have in Besaid where you're walking around, it's got the most banger track of just like doom 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 it's got like the the drums and the beat going it's, it's, it's real lo-fi vibe like yeah and, what they were taking inspire, inspiration from yeah that and like like 14 um i feel like both limza but especially like the um oh nadia what's the resort 
the resort in 14 called that you go do the quests that everybody hates in Realm Oh, that is literally Costa del Sol. Oh, that is Costa del Sol? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Costa del Sol, which also Final Fantasy VII's Costa del Sol. Yeah, um, I love FF7's Costa del Sol. Uh, Supermoot put it in the chat, a picture of it. I remember going to that area when I first played FF7 and said, wow, what a what an interesting area for an RPG. Like, you see... I still love going there and observing like what's there like you see the there's just someone like sunbathing on the on top of a plane at the top of a biplane mm-hmm. and there's kids playing soccer and you can play too actually you can k- kick the ball back to them and I think you could torment red 13 somehow I can't remember how but mm. so and that's all where you that find better be in FF7 rebirth that's all I have to say yeah. oh absolutely yeah. yeah and Hojo's just on the beach like here's this guy who like you know three hours ago, not even three hours ago, tried to like crossbreed Aerith and Red 13 in a horrible experiment. And he's like, eh, I'm, I'm retired. Bye. <laughs> See you at the end of the game. He can't even punch his face. I'm he's retired. Just lying there. Bye. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. We, we considered Persona like summer because they do have the summer vacation oh, they always sections. Have that bit, yeah. Yeah, like like five immediately jumps to mind with its like summer vacation bit. I forget what yeah. they do. Uh, I know that for the Yusuke, summer vacation. It was basically, I think it's like the it was the stereotypical Japanese thing where they go to Hawaii and even they were playing in the yeah. game. How everyone does this, right. but Yusuke fell in love with his lobster, and they're like, "Oh, cool, let's eat that lobster." He's like, "No, I must save my lobster." And yeah, just really big on this yeah. lobster. In P three portable, they actually go to uh the the town in persona 4 and oh. stay at the inn where huh. yukiko is uh, and so and you see that actually persona 3 takes place before persona 4 because it's a visibly younger yukiko mm-hmm. oh mm-hmm. that's cute yeah, yeah. That. that that was specific content for persona 3 portable which means that it won't be in persona 3 reload thanks thanks atlas oh yes boo um. But uh, so many of RPGs developed in Japan, obviously, are based uh, heavily on manga. And it's a it's a real trope to go on the summer vacation in a manga and hang out on a beach. Oh, yeah. The, kind of the beach trip. Yeah. Yeah. In Valkyria Chronicles, they have a whole beach uh, chapter. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Of course they do. Yeah. The so better to see all... all these characters drawn in sw- swimsuits. Am I right? Same with um, Fire Emblem. I think Awakening has a whole beach DLC. Yeah. 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 I was going to say, I think that was like a DLC mission pack that you downloaded or something. What's um, with the bashing watermelon in, in Japanese tradition? Wait, oh, are, are, we talking like, are we talking like, about Gallagher? I don't yeah. know. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're talking about anime. Like, you know, they always play games down by the beach. And so uh, you always see someone like blindfolded smashing a watermelon. And I just don't understand what that's all about. Just it's, an, it's a trope. It's an anime, manga, games. No idea. Damn. Maybe maybe it's a secret ritual that I only stumbled upon. A secret ritual. There's definitely this the trope of being in the city during most of the year, but during the summer going into the countryside. Yeah. Um, mm. Eric threw out Boku no Natsu Yasumi, mm-hmm. which is about <clears throat> taking a summer vacation and staying in a rural location with some family very very japanese in that regard and then you see that pop up in rpgs like persona for example of going into the countryside uh for the summer a lot of other rpgs are much more about shall we say 
If you want to think summary locations, usually you think island or jungle, that kind of thing. Um, interestingly, Divinity Original Sin 2 spent quite a bit of time um, on the islands. Eric, did you play Divinity Original Sin 2? I played some of it. I played like about probably see like six to eight hours. I don't think I've one of the first things that, that happens island. is that you're shipwrecked. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that's actually another good uh, segue. Uh, Ease eight. Very mm. tropical. You're shipwrecked on a tropical island. I mean, you're shipwrecked all the time, but this time it's like, oh, nice. I actually love Ease 8, its opening. Like, I've I've played it here before, but how it's so, like, not really tropical or, you know, kind of slow and and mysterious like you'd get with a game where someone's on a deserted island. But it just goes right in. Like, you know, it's a sunshine coastline. Such a great theme. Um, Mm. Also worth noting, especially like Kingdom Hearts, but especially Kingdom Hearts 2, which is just Roxas and the crew on their um, mm, right. summer vacation, which quickly turns into the endless eight of Haruhi's Suzumiya summer vacation, which <laughs> shout outs to the endless eight, baby. It's good. Um, but uh, even Kingdom Hearts 1 had that island opening too, where they were hanging out. And yeah, as, as people are posting in the Stars of Destiny chat, uh, those characters should, sure do love their uh, sea, sea salt, salt ice cream. Ice cream. I would which, want to try that. It, I mean, is it a real thing? Did Kingdom Hearts make it up or is that a real thing? Uh, maybe. Whenever I go to Japan, uh, I always get a soft cream, um, which is... I forget what the difference is between soft cream and ice cream, but it's very tasty. I think it might be sort of a frozen yogurt thing. Please don't yell at me if I'm wrong, mm. but it's like flavors like Sakura ice cream or uh, yeah. there's a bean curd version, which is interesting. Um, the last time I was in Japan was in the fall, I think, and I went to the Meiji Jingu Shrine, and which has one of my favorite ice soft cream locations. And I showed up at the trailer, and the girl who was sitting the inside was dead asleep. <laughs> and I Aww. didn't know what to do. She was just, like, completely crashed out Aww. at the counter. And I was like, excuse me, excuse me, because I really wanted my soft cream, damn it. And I'm an mm. title white lady. And she woke up, and she was like, oh, my God, oh, my God. And she, like, kind of stumbled around like a zombie Aww. making the soft cream. <laughs> like, right oh, thank you. oh, no, that's so sad. I would have waited for someone else to kind of, I would have just kind of stood aside and let someone else wake her up, be the bad guy. She's, like, very, behind the line. she's very tired. I am a villain, though, so, and I wanted my soft cream, so. I want it now. I, I want it. Give it to me. <laughs> gimme, gimme, gimme. Gimme, gimme. Um, I mean. We were just talking about tropical locations. I mean, Chrono Cross starts out on an island, and that is like kind of the prototypical summer RPG, right? Because it came out during the summer. It was part of Square's Summer of Adventure in 2000. Oh, right. Yeah, Mm. that. One of my favorite parts, actually, of Chrono Cross is the opening opening town. And you just kind of go around it. And you see it's a very, not just a tropical setting, but a tropical lifestyle. Like, you go to the docks and you just see, like, a kid, like, immediately just jump into the deep water without a care in the world. Because obviously something they've been doing their entire life. And that's just mm. the kind of thing I like to see in a, in a setting. Chrono Trigger, meanwhile, has a slightly different type of summer. That, which is, it opens with a fair. And it makes me think of the state fair when I was where I was growing up. The Minnesota State Fair, acknowledged mm-hmm. by mm-hmm. Stephen Diggs to be the best fair in the country. 
the great Minnesota get together mm-hmm. where you can have all of the things on a stick. Uh, many memories of again, sweating like crazy in the middle of a very hot and humid August, but uh, going on the rides, drinking, uh, having Mrs. Fields cookies with a big glass of milk. Oh, that'd be good. Many fond memories of the Minnesota State Fair, and I want to go back someday, especially now that I can drink. Yeah. I think that, um, like, every state, or nearly every state has its kind of fall slash late summer fair, and Canada has its provincial fairs. Like, I grew up with the CNE, uh, a.k.a. the X, which is almost kind of a mainstay here every summer. And it's the best because nobody gives an F. Like, there's one time I was on, like, this ride. It's called, like, the Polar Express, and it just goes around in a circle and plays metal music it's really cool and i was on it once and i heard this kid screaming you know slow down i want to get off i want to get off and the car and just like what you want to go faster and he just, mm-hmm. it just mm-hmm. and <laughs> nobody really cares because they're like kind of drunk and there's a lot of gambling there like all the booths mm. there's a whole lot of gambling booths and stuff because ontario is really big on gambling and yeah and then you have your your roller coasters that are going to fall apart any minute now uh oh, mm-hmm. good times good times yeah, in in Texas we got the rodeo, um, which is a pretty good time. Uh, they get like good musical acts. It feels like it's a bit more of a like production now than yeah. the things that. So I've also been to the Minnesota State Fair, and I do like that one a lot. Um, controversially, I may say that I like it more than the rodeo, um, just because. Yeah, you go to the State Fair, you get just so many cheese curds. Oh my god, mm, I hate so many cheese. cheese curds. That's where you get the cheese curds. That's I'm, where I'm going. Hides I'm them. going back up north later this year, and I am going to consume my body weight and then some in cheese curds and spotted cow. Like that is my goal. That's wonderful. And then go get a juicy Lucy. I've never had a juicy Lucy. I didn't go know this the... was a thing. It was invented in Minnesota. Do you know what yeah. a juicy Lucy is? It's it's a, it's a burger, right? It's I've, a minis- I've heard it's cheese in a burger. I've heard Good tell Lord. of this from the the Game Informer folks. That yes, that go this to is the Blue thing. Door Pub. Okay, go get a juicy Lucy. All right, oh, All right. Good Morning Burger. Yeah, Har- Harvest Lunatic brings up a great point. Pokemon Sun and Moon. That was mm-hmm. for Hawaii. Yeah, yeah. The most I, I summary that or Ruby and Sapphire. Ruby and Sapphire was kind Good of taking place on Okinawa. Too much water, famously. Um, is Okinawa kind of in the south part of Japan and like the more humid part of it? Oh, it's an island nation. Oh, okay, it's right okay. there in the Pacific. So, oh, that's for Okinawa. Okay, I was yeah. confusing. Yeah. Okinawa. Yeah. yeah. So that sounds uh. very hot and sticky. But uh, I, I really liked Sun and Moon's vibes. I liked how they incorporated the Hawaiian culture. I really liked how they had the Pokemon kind of interact with Hawaiian history. Like, for example, how. Um, the, the knight Radata who evolved to get around the young goose who were released to kind of hunt the Radata, which is very reflective of what the idiots did when the, when they colonized Hawaii for um, sugar uh, cane. And there was some, there was a problem with rats. So they released these mongoose or something like that. But the rats were nocturnal and the mongoose just went around eating like all the, the islands, like ground bound birds. So great job. But I really like they, they incorporated that into, um, into the the game itself i have nostalgia for sun and moon now good it's a great game i love that game. favorite pokemon by i've far. come around i really like the starters actually yeah, um great. i've come around to uh incineroar and i love decidueye and even the even the seals okay 
and uh, it's the seal, right? Is that or am I mis? Poplio. Or- yeah, it's a seal. Poplio. Yeah, it's a seal. Poplio. Poplio. But um, uh, actually, Team Skull, amazing. They were the best, best villains. I think I love Team Skull. I love Guzma. Pretty solid. Um, the you you could argue against the the Z moves, but at least they looked cool, and they didn't feel as gimmicky as the stuff that came that followed. Mm-hmm. And it still had uh, mega forms, and it had still had the entire Pokedex, and it looked amazing on the Nintendo 3DS, and it had blue and red traveling the world as a married couple. There you go. There mm-hmm. are the, just mm-hmm. no why together. Just a coincidence. Is good There's friends. a lot good to love friends. about Pokemon Sun and Moon. Honestly. I love adult red and how sullen and silent he is. I just love that. Yeah. It's just like, and Blue's kind of his mouthpiece, speaking like mm-hmm. Moses and mm-hmm. Aaron here. Mm-hmm. There's a lot. I If you're in the competitive community, like I get like you can complain about how Z moves and Mega Evolutions kind of ruined everything and made it, it way too OP. But also the growing gigantic in Sword and Shield was so broken that the major competitive communities literally banned it. So, I mean, yeah. come on. The biggest size, and I don't even like terrestrializing or whatever, but yeah, big nostalgia for Sun and Moon. To me, that was like the last time I really, really, uh, maybe that was the last time that Pokemon felt connected to its roots. And then after that, it changed pretty substantially when it got into the Nintendo Switch. Though I had some good times with Sword and Shield, I suppose you could say. But, I liked Sword and Shield actually quite yeah. a bit. Um, We've been talking, we've been kind of in the midst of a let's remember some games type segment, but I'm curious, what can a summary or tropical um, setting add to an RPG overall? Uh, Really cool, gigantic bugs with terrible poison. One thing I've noticed about (laughs) Japanese RPGs, like even as far back as, go play Final Fantasy 4 and wander the desert early in the game you'll find a huge ass centipede monster that looks disgusting and horrible it looks like a giant mukade because that's what it is and japanese tropical insects are not to be trifled with so fuck with them they whereas japanese based games tend to add a lot of those like hey everyone just giant awful insects with like even like cute little frogs with terrible poison there should be more terrible poison in these tropical areas because that's what terrifies me most about visiting a place like that. I like big animals, but like just the idea of like this, this stupid little bug or snake biting me and, and like making my insides melt, that's crazy. And again, there's like the poison dart frog. You touch that, and you're dead. Crazy, crazy stuff down there. Poison. I think that a, a warm, summery setting can convey a sense of bright colors and water. And maybe a sense of high adventure. Um, Skies of Arcadia is not necessarily a summer RPG, but I still think of it as being kind of firmly grounded in a sense of warmth, mm-hmm. I suppose. Uh, it could also be a change of pace, especially if you've spent a lot of time in a lot of ancient ruins or dungeons or that kind of thing to suddenly be on a beach. I remember in, we were talking about Costa del Sol earlier. In Final Fantasy VII, you go from a very dark and grim Midgar mm-hmm. to Nibelheim 
And then not long after that, Costa del Sol. Yeah. And the eruption of color is, I mean, it's a mood whiplash for sure. It is. I remember it very distinctly. Yeah. And you can argue, be like, well, okay, this is maybe too much of a whiplash, but um, it's a nice change of pace, I think. Yeah. You really kind of get, you settle into it. It is like, you know, jumping into a pool of water and it's like, oh, this is cold. And then like, no, actually, this is nice, especially since uh, what happens in Nibelheim is is very dark and mysterious and gloomy. And then you move on to the, the tropical place. And it's it's interesting because I like that juxtaposition between like, here's a cool tropical place where like everyone's playing, everyone's having fun, gives you a good idea of the have and have nots in this world, by the way. And uh, Sephiroth is still very close. He's he's close enough almost to touch, but he's staying out of the way. So you know that you're in danger, but hey, let's play soccer. I I think a like summer beach segment of anything of, of a game of an anime, but especially in an RPG, if done well, is a moment for the characters to step back from the main plot, to step back from the actual mm. conflict and have that moment of levity. But I think with that moment of levity, when done well, leads to personal growth. It leads to very like surprisingly introspective things. The, the, the peak of the beach episode of the beach scene in anything for me is avatar, the last airbender where uh, Zuko has the, the revelation on the beach that, that he's not angry at everybody else. He's angry with himself. And that's like his final realization that, Oh, I should have gone to therapy like two seasons ago. But <laughs> when it started. Um, I might but, have dad issues. Yeah, yeah. When he when he's like, I'm angry at myself, and then he firebends the campfire and it goes like roaring up into the sky. Oh, every time. Hits me every time. But um on that on that note, like I think a good summer like or, or beach, I guess we're specifically talking about like kind of Casa del Sol or even like Xeno Saga is another one that jumps to mind where you have like a beach area that happens. Um, it is a moment to kind of down ramp and also like center the story back on the individual problems of the characters or their interpersonal problems rather than dealing with the big scary enemy that they've got to fight or the dungeon they've got to get through or something like that. Uh, but I also think that a setting can feel very summary if it feels like it's like Kat was saying an adventure away from the norm. Like to me, Final Fantasy Tactics A2 and even Tactics A1 are very summary games because they're kind of like the never ending story type games where you go on an adventure, you get isekai to a new world and what's happening here. And that's like very summary because to me. Tactics A1 starts in a winter oh, yeah. setting. Yeah, in a snowball snowballs. fight. Yeah, yeah. But they feel very summary to me because they are those moments of you go on an adventure that will come to an end. And and it's like you've you've kind of just gone off. I, I guess maybe because I used to go on trips and stuff like that. So I was used to like disappearing from my my home my hometown and my school for like a prolonged period of time and then coming back. And so like the idea of leaving and coming back and having that sort of like I'm gonna go be a different person somewhere else for a week or two weeks or a month or whatever. And then coming back was very summer related to me, summer tinged to me. I got isekai every summer is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Every summer, my parents would take us up to a cottage uh, by Georgian Bay, which is actually the longest freshwater beach in the world. And uh, we would get it on the main strip, like where all the party animals would, would hang out. And 
because it was right by the right by the um, beach. But dear God, those were some rowdy nights. I think of bon. Uh, my neighborhood would frequently have bonfires. Oh my God! Yeah, and everybody would be would sitting too. around drinking and having mm-hmm. hot dogs and whatnot. And uh, me and the rest of the neighborhood kids would play midnight caller, which is just hide and go seek, but it's in the mm-hmm. dark. Mm-hmm. And yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was fun. You know, running through all the backyards in the in the pitch black, um, around like eleven p.m. or whatever. Uh, Fireworks. This might sound weird, but like a top three scent of like like in life for me is a burning campfire. I love Mm. the smell of a burning campfire. That's not weird at all. I think it's great. But I also like the smell of pool chemicals. So like. That's. I think I like a lot of summer. I love the sense. smell of chlorine. I know they say, yeah. "Oh, that's what it smells like when there's pee mixed with it." Yeah. Okay. I guess I'm a horrible monster. I just like the smell of chlorine. What can I tell you? Yeah. My bad. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. It smells good. Like. <laughs> I just remember sitting like in it because yeah, where we would have our cottage, we'd usually have like it was a collection of cottages, and we'd have like a bonfire back when it was like not so tinder dry that you could do that kind of thing. And mm-hmm. my dad and I would say like, "Hey, look at that like burning like." the wood doesn't that look like hell like yeah that looks like hell so <laughs> just, that's the kind of conversation we would have we're coming up on the women's world cup here very exciting and four years ago i was in france to watch the women's world cup that was happening there at the time that the u.s won and i was also reviewing fire emblem three houses mm. which amounted to uh sitting in a pretty nice airbnb but it was like well over 100 degrees and uh in Lyon, and i was absolutely dying as i tried to stay cool playing fire emblem three houses going down the entirely the wrong route Mm -hmm. the worst Mm -hmm. route famously famously r.i.p go check out our pantheon of the blood god for fire emblem three houses but Lyon's a summer city and it has an incredible Incredible cuisine, yeah. Yeah, blood wine. I don't blood think we and wine. Blood wine. Yeah, 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 yeah. we were talking blood south of sure. France. Yeah, that's a, that's a different vibe. It's not just going to the beach. It's interesting. Like uh, when I talk to the developers, like why, why the south of France? And they're like, well, you know, we spent all this time in the grimness of Central Europe for most of Witcher <laughs> Three. Yeah, with mm-hmm. mud and swamps, and it's nice to. Go and basically take a vacation with Geralt and uh, go to the south of France. And oh my God, if you ever play Blood and Wine, especially with the remastered version of the game, incredible. It's so gorgeous. Mm -hmm. I have a kind of uh, sadder summer memory of uh, Fire Emblem Three Houses. Actually, that was a that was a summer. My mom nearly died. Like she she had a, uh, as you know, like a brain injury a few years ago. And she kept she keeps having these really long seizures. She had a really bad one uh, that summer and was in the hospital. And I was over at my parents' house watching their dog uh, because it'll eat anyone else. And that's actually the summer I was playing Three Houses. And I wrote that article about I noticed the story within the uh, chapter beginnings. Like you had those paintings Mm -hmm. and those Mm -hmm. paintings. I noticed were telling a story, like two stories at the same time about like, you know, a knight who grew up and a deer who lost his mother and grew up alongside him and i wrote that up for us gamer it was actually a really a, a a really popular story and at the time i remember you saying like you know if you don't feel like working today you don't have to and i said no i just want to write one thing so i just kind of wrote that down and it felt good to get something up during a really bad time i do think fire emblem is a very summary game like yeah. again it can feel almost like not 
quite right. Like, like, like it doesn't link up. It's, it's a game about war and death and stuff like that. But there is something about like the, I don't know. It's maybe it's because it's on those handhelds. I do feel like a Game Boy is a summer console. You know, it's the yeah, thing that you can put in your pocket. Around. You can take with you. Yeah. 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 In fact, you bring it to um, your rooftop parties and set it up like a switch. <laughs> many long nights working oh, yeah. overnights during the summer in college, playing my GBA at three in the morning when I should be mm-hmm. like sitting at my desk. I was working at uh, Canada's Wonderland as a janitor when uh, Pokemon became this huge, huge thing. And everyone mm. would just kind of like bring their Game Boy advances and their link cables and fight Mewtwo against Mewtwo for hours and get really bored. But it's it was a lot really fun experience to be on top of that to be there at when the pokemon broke out like that was the mm-hmm. summer that i just like holy shit everything is pokemon all these kids are into pokemon what's going on i lost my game boy color on on an airplane coming home no, from disneyland you almost lost your switch too mm-hmm. you have to mm-hmm. be careful well, this yeah. one i forgot on the plane okay okay and it was 1999 so it wasn't as easy to get stuff back also it was in florida in florida if it's gone in Florida, it's just gone. It's over. Mm. Florida <laughs> takes its own. It takes its po- it takes its poll. It's toll. But that that was how I lost my my original set of Pokemon. <laughs> to exit that. Florida, you must leave something precious, <laughs> like the Infinity Stone. It's the, it's the Witcher text. You must leave something you did not expect or whatever. <laughs> what did you lose? My Game Boy. Advance. My Game Boy. <laughs> that's it. Uh, for our RPGs of summer conversation, do you have any memories of playing RPGs in the summer? Your favorite art summer RPGs with summer settings? Is do you have an example of a definitive summer RPG? Uh, head over to our Discord, join our conversation in the weekly episodes chat, leave a comment on the show page on Patreon or Spotify, or send me a message to twitter.com/slash the underscore catbot, assuming I can figure out how to turn on my direct messages again, <laughs> which is a little challenging. Okay, it's time now for a series of random encounters. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. No, Kiyoshida was thinking about making Final Fantasy 16 DLC. He said that he wanted the original game to be very complete and enjoyable without it, but there's a lot of fan demand, so it could be happening. Stray Gods has been delayed a week to avoid Baldur's Gate 3, which is in turn trying to avoid Starfield. If you haven't seen Stray God, it's basically the Buffy the Vampire uh, musical episode, mm-hmm. but turned into an RPG. It's a musical. Interesting. Very cool. cool. 
it's by David Gator, who did uh, Knights of the Old Republic and I believe Dragon Age. Dragon so, Age Origins, yeah. Yeah, Dragon Age Origins. So uh, that one is very much on my radar. It looks really cool. Uh, Dragon Quest Treasures is now on Steam. Clockwork yeah. Revolution has been compared a lot to Bioshock Infinite, but um, In Exile says, no, no, no. Actually, it's more influenced by Arcanum and Bloodlines. And it's like, Hell yeah. okay. Hell yeah. Which, uh, that's definitely a mood, but visually, I mean, come on. It looks like Bioshock Infinite. I'm sorry. Yeah, a little. Diablo 3's Rebirth feature, which allows you to bring a character from the main campaign into the seasonal content, could return in Diablo 4. Sven Vinky says Ultima 7 was a big inspiration on Larian, which is a hell yeah from Eric. Zelda devs were too busy making Zelda to play Elden Ring. The Video Game History Foundation estimates 87% of games made before 2010 are unavailable and compares mm. them to silent movies. Mm. Mm-hmm. Cyberpunk 2077 is back to a very positive on Steam for the first time. Gitchin Impact voice actors hadn't been paid in months. Oh, gosh. Yeah, and the developer was like, uh, we're going to address this, promise. Major Nelson is leaving Xbox, and the FTC has lost its battle for an injunction against the Xbox-Activision Blizzard merger. It also lost the appeal. Mm-hmm. The deal could close pretty much as soon as Monday. Mm-hmm. Uh, very soon, in other words. I mean, there are still some loose ends. The FTC could still ch- challenge it. In August, there's a uh, a trial scheduled to happen then. Um, they still have to make a deal with the UK regulatory body, the CMA, which could include uh, giving up some of its cloud-based business, which Xbox is like, oh no, our cloud business, too bad. <laughs> but one way or another, it looks like this deal is pretty much mm. a done deal. And yeah. we're just going to have to live in a world where Xbox owns everything. <laughs> Mm. Well, someone's going to own everything eventually. I'm just betting to myself, is it going to be Amazon, Microsoft, or, uh, yeah, Tesla or something? I don't know. Tesla? God. Hope no. Not. I hope no. not. Yeah. Yeah, I really hope not. But I just feel like one of three people are going to be the lords of the new world, and we're going to be under one of them. Is it going to be Bezos, Zuckerberg, or Elon? They'll all exactly. battle in the Roman Coliseum. I and, and- didn't America so. fight a war to avoid this kind of thing from happening? Because well, they're like, funny about that. Who's this king ordering us around? You Let's either die a hero or live long enough to become the villain. I guess so. I'm really bummed that that cage fight didn't happen between... Not that I, I care about hey, the weird there's parasocial... Still time. Di- I, didn't I, Elon's I, mommy say no? Yeah, like like there's a weird parasociality to it that I don't care about, but I do very much want to see one of them beat up the other yeah. and i i just be the know. social media moment of the year wouldn't it yeah yeah i would love them both to get punched hey if any of any billionaires out there if you want to like you know arm yourselves with knives and go at each other and like <laughs> like monkeys i will not stand I, i'm not gonna in your way <laughs> i will encourage you i will i will clap someone should i hope everyone has fun i don't care who wins <laughs> all i have to say is if Xbox is going to own Activision Blizzard, the only two things that I want are uh, get Bobby Kotick out of mm-hmm. Activision yeah, Blizzard. That's it amazing. is time for that man to go. Um, everybody within a, a lot of people within Activision Blizzard sure are rooting for it. I can tell you that much. I, I can imagine I would be too if I were, if I was like working there. And then number two, 
I, I would really be happy if they made StarCraft 3 and put it on Game Pass. Mm. That's all I'm saying. Mm. If, if Xbox is like Ghost. StarCraft 3, I'm like, the merger was worth it. <laughs> I, Hooray for consolidation. I, I think it's interesting because I've just seen a lot of people comment things like, oh, you're treating it very console warsy, right? Like, like, oh, yeah. this big win for Xbox, huge celebration for the Xboxes. Ah, Sony fans suck it. And I just like, <laughs> this is... This was such an important moment because it like sets a precedent, but also like I enjoy an industry where we have the possibility of large third party publishers where it doesn't feel like the the scope of the industry is shrinking down further. And I don't think this necessarily is some sort of like big moment that will lead to like, oh, is is EA going to sell next? Is Square Enix? Is Capcom? Like, like I don't, I don't think that's going to happen, but. I, I, I just do. do. <laughs> I think the opposite. I think consolidation is only going to speed up. Yeah, I, I see everyone eating each other. I don't know if mm, that that's like a larger. Maybe you should make that an episode topic in maybe. the future. But um, I do just want there to be, I guess, variety in the things we have and the ability for things to exist outside of each other. Maybe that's why. I, have been turning more towards indie projects and stuff like that. But even the indie space is consolidating in, in some weird yeah. ways. So. Triple I. Because making <sighs> yeah, games your is so devolvers, expensive. That's a, that's a good term. Devolvers and Annapurnas and stuff like that. So Indie games yeah. are the new mid-tier games. They still have development teams of like more than 100 people. They still cost millions of dollars to make. If you're not an amazing looking indie or have like a truly amazing uh and unique concept you're just going to get drowned out you oh. just noise yeah. unless you're a battle uh, unless you're that um battlefield plus roblox game what was it battle bit or whatever Yo, battle bit which was made by like two people there's still stuff like that and like there's, there's one coming out like within like the next week or so called the banished vault that i'm really looking forward to that is another one of those like small projects that looks really really neat um so there's i've got still, like hope there, there's that... still room for breakouts like look at undertale who would ever have predicted something that looks like an nes game would like become so humongous yeah but it's mm-hmm. a one in a million right it's a lottery ticket almost for every undertale there's a hundred games that come and go and nobody even knows that they existed yeah and but there's also especially with ai becoming more of a thing uh there's just a giant fire hose of crap hitting steam yeah I, I think we have to kind of wait for all of this to kind of burn itself out this is a bad time for internet this is the time of monsters and i'll say that much it's been a weird year for yeah. sure but yeah i i'm not exactly celebrating i think one of the most embarrassing things i've seen is uh gamers uh complaining about the ftc literally doing its job and yeah. being like, how dare the FTC try to regulate this deal? And like, I don't know. I think it's a deal that re- deserves scrutiny. Um, oh, for sure. I think Klepik, Patrick Klepik on Remap Radio, I was listening to them earlier, and he put it very, very well, which was, if you want to spend this much money, you should have to go up on a stand and answer some questions about it. Mm, yeah, and yeah, absolutely. I think that's like a fair 70, thing to ask. $69 billion? Mm-hmm. I mean, nice. but... People are just seeing it. It's scoreboard watching. Again, all of the Xbox fans are like, aha, we got one over on PlayStation finally. We got the Activision Blizzard. Let us not think in terms of console wars. Let us think in terms of 
industry health, and I think the PlayStation and Nintendo and Xbox buying up a lot of major places and consolidating and creating monopolies is not good. Nintendo doesn't do that very much, though. Nintendo's very careful no. about who they buy. Monolith Soft was a great purchase. Uh, Next Level mm. was also fantastic. Like, that was cool. That was a very, like, Canada was big so on PlayStation that So PlayStation bought Bungie. And yeah. there's a lot of talks like, well, what's Bungie going to buy? What's PlayStation's response? Is PlayStation going to buy EA? Is Amazon going to buy EA? Oh, God. Amazon, EA. Uh, that's what I mean. We're all going to end up under one of three lords. When I put this to entrepreneurs and developers, they're like, it's a circle of life. Uh, what happens is all of these games, uh, all these companies get bought up and then new money goes out to new startups who also uh, aspire to be bought up. And I'm like, yeah, but also we've had so much consolidation um, over the past 30 years and you get these cartels that can set prices. Uh, Monopoly bad is what yeah. I'm saying. Just look at uh, what's happening with Madden, which basically managed to spend its only competition out of business and Madden's been bad for the past 20 years as a result. <laughs> wow, has it been 20 years since that happened? Uh, Almost exactly 20 years. Oh yeah. my goodness gracious. Yeah, because uh, NFL 2K came out in 2004, NFL 2K5. And mm. not only was it better than Madden, it had a much lower price point. It severely undercut right. it. at like hell, Suddenly for like 20 bucks. Which mm. is absurd. And Madden went, huh. And then they just went and negotiated an exclusive license with the NFL. And that was it. Yeah. It was Madden forever after that point. It's interesting seeing now the way that FIFA has splintered off from EA Sports and EA is like, oh, we can just make our soccer game and try and compete on our own. And we don't need to spend this much money on the FIFA license anymore. And, and, you know, even even that that football had more competition in it than Madden did because you had Pez and stuff like that. But yeah, sports games used to be such a much more vibrant category. Yes. than it is yes. now. Circa the two thousands, you had so many more football and NBA and NHL and it, like arcade Baseball. games plus yeah. Sims. And now look at it. Yeah, they're more more profitable than ever, but that doesn't make them good. Yeah, it's like. Something like even like NBA Jam, which was licensed, but it was so fun and silly. And, you know, you don't get that fun silliness anymore that anyone could pick up and say, oh, cool, let's let's do this. And by the way, it's not just the leagues. It's uh, it's it's not just the developers. The leagues are responsible for this, too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And then there are plenty of other examples of studios that used to be really vibrant getting bought up and then just being a shell of themselves. Look what happened to Bioware. I was just about to say, like, Bioware is has been trying to get itself back on track. And I, I feel for the folks who are trying to do that, but has been trying to get itself back on track for years at this yeah. point. Um, I was joking the other day because someone was like, I can't believe there's so much interest in Baldur's Gate 3. And I was like, yeah, because when's Dreadwolf going to come out? Like, where do you think all the Bioware fans flock to? Like, they saw that. Baldur's Gate 3 has romance and has the things that they want but like when's Dreadwolf coming out so they're they're gonna go check out BG3 because that's coming out this year if Dreadwolf doesn't come out next year it'll be such a disaster for Bioware it's be crazy uh yeah I think it's coming out next year for what it's worth it everything that I've been able been the, the signs point 
in that direction. That's all I will say about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's a weird time for the games industry. It's a weird time in general. I was reflecting on how 2023 feels like the end in so many ways. Uh, it feels like the end of the social media media era of journalism. Uh, so many great outlets are shutting down. It feels like so many things are changing. Uh, the world is shifting beneath my feet. AI is happening. I don't. I don't even know what's going on anymore. Mm-hmm. And Activision Blizzard, uh, Xbox buying Activision Blizzard is one more sign of that. We live in the end times, my friends. We live in some kind of times. I mean, like I, I was kind of repeating this on the podcast another time, but like the 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 line from uh, FF14 to begin, we first must see the end. It's uh, mm. profound, my friends. What if instead of trying to maintain the law and order of the old world, we embraced the natural order of chaos and accepted that that was the way we should go? That's my segue into (laughs) Legend of Korra. Oh, wait, no, the Legend of Korra is not the next segment. I'm so sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Did you just hijack us? I was I was going to do such a clever segue, and then I was like, wait, no, I skipped the segment. <laughs> I mean, we don't I'm have sorry. to talk about what we've been playing, but uh, I was going to throw, but I was going to still open the floor anyway. No, we should open the floor. Open the floor. Eric, what have you been playing? Um, I'll, I'll talk really quickly about Oxenfree 2. I think it's a really decent sequel to Oxenfree 1. I don't think it hits as hard as Oxenfree 1, but it if you like Oxenfree 1, then you should probably play Oxenfree 2. I think it's going to hit really hard for anyone who is a elder millennial uh, who oh, is no. questioning the state that their life is in right now. Oh, and no. There, there's like a, a monologue that I won't repeat here, but like really resonated with me and like really hit in a way that I was like, oh, you know, this team still has its writing chops. Uh, absolutely. You're, I think, you're not an elder millennial. You're a millennial millennial. Yeah, you're, I, a, you're a vanilla millennial. Yeah, but I'm, I'm old at heart. <laughs> uh, I can feel that. Not I'm, I'm the geriatric millennial over here. I'm a um, millennial. Yeah, I, I think it's a um, I think it's a solid follow up, not quite as groundbreaking or amazing as Oxenfree One, but I think that's due to a myriad of myriad of reasons. I think if you like Oxen, ugh, can't talk today. I think if you like Oxenfree One, you'll like Oxenfree Two. Like, I it's, it's not that hard. Started Oxenfree One, and I really liked it, but I don't remember what mm-hmm. pulled me away. It might have even been Breath of the Wild. But yeah, mm-hmm. I, I have a mean to go back to it. I remember looking at the trailer for Oxenfree 2 and like, yeah, this is creepy. I remember Oxenfree was creepy. I got to get back to this. That's another summer game for me, but in like a different kind of way, because the first game takes place as these high schoolers are, are going on a like trip out to an island. And, and it feels very much about that sort of summer and the way it transitions into yeah, new stages right. of your life. Whereas uh, Oxenfree 2 is about an older protagonist and kind of how it becomes eras of your life as you get older rather than like every year feeling like a big new year and stuff like that. So I, I find it really, really interesting. Uh, just has some like weird stuff that like held it back for me, but 
I've also been playing Exoprimal, the the dino shooter from Capcom. Which has mixed reviews on Steam and has not been reviewed by a single major site yet. Yeah, I will will say that I received review code uh, for that video game for for my website, Destructoid.com. You can read my day one impressions. Uh, It was launch day code. Uh, And specifically... Specifically, they were like, we want you to play it once the servers are live. Which, so yeah, Capcom's that, winning okay, streak fair. is over. Um, well, here's the thing. I don't think it's bad. Sure. I, I would not. I have played things like what was the, the Resident Evil team shooter where you could butt scoot faster than you could run. <laughs> um, <laughs> umbrella, name, um, umbrella squad or something like that. Umbrella squad. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I just remember that for some reason, when you were crouching in that game, you could butt scoot like a dog on the carpet. Um. And Ew. and it would be like super fast. Um. <laughs> and so I I don't think it's that. I would even say it's better than something like Anthem, which is like I think a lot of people would well, immediately compare hard. this to Anthem. Yeah. Um. Speaking of Bioware falling apart. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. It it's like a solid like five player. Uh, PVE for the most part with some PVP that gets sprinkled in and that's like a lot of people's big issue with this and why it's got I was looking at the Steam reviews and a lot of people are upset that there's not a pure PVE mode there's always some level of PVP in it but basically you're in mech suits that have different skills think very Overwatch TF2 that sort of thing Um, you have your tanks you have your healers you have your damage uh, and you're just destroying hordes of dinosaurs uh, that are coming out of like space holes that are just raining dinosaurs down upon you. And it is so goofy and weird, but it also seems very aware of how weird it is. Like it knows that this is an entirely bonkers setup and leans into that in a way that I enjoy. Uh, and it's a good game to play with friends. It is definitely a squad up on a Friday night and blast through some dinos type game. I think the big, big thing against it is that it is a $60 video game that has a battle pass with a free pass and a premium track, as well as additional cosmetics and stuff at launch, which I, I think a lot of people get rightfully uh turn we'll, we'll we'll rightfully turn their nose up at any game that is a full price game that also then has additional monetization in it yeah that sounds Do- awfully overconfident like yo yes hey no hate to capcom for starting an actual new ip in a world which oh by the way if you want to talk about the end look at the end of streaming and the fact that hollywood is on strike right now like it's crazy but uh Places like Warner Brothers and video game companies and everything just being like, let's double down on these crusty old IPs as much as humanly possible. So Suicide hey, Squad. <laughs> hey, fair play to Capcom for trying something new. Granted, the game is named Exoprimal, which is about a generic a name as you can possibly get. Very nice. And the concept itself is very like, uh, okay, you're shooting dinosaurs, I guess. And... It's Shooting just, dinosaurs in this game is really fun, by the way. It just I, never, it just new, never really landed with people. I, I'd rather have a Dino Crisis. Like people looked at that and said, "Oh boy, new Dino Crisis." Then it's like, "Here's always online, uh, uh, Exoprimal." Yay, okay. I I agree to some extent. I think to some level, people have like rose tinted glasses. I was thinking about this because one of my writers 
at Destructoid, uh, Tim wrote up about going back to playing Gex one after the announcement of the new Gex and or like the modern Gex remaster or whatever is happening with Gex right now. And he was like, oh, wait, Gex is not as good as I remember it being. And I feel like that might happen with Dino Crisis as well. Uh, where you're like you have very rose tinted glasses about a thing and you would really need it to be updated in a Resident Evil 2 yeah, type like, way. Yeah, but that'd be fine though. Do do that. Like a, a kind yeah, of a Resident yes. Evil 8 style Donner Crisis. I'd play that in two seconds but flat. Capcom, I think, is not trying to make Dino Crisis, has never tried it like it has never positioned that as Dino Crisis. So I don't think getting mad that it's not Dino Crisis is a reasonable thing to do. Um, it's, it's like, you know, if, if a new final fantasy, I mean, this did happen when final fantasy 16 came out and people were like, Oh, but it's not turn-based. It's like, yeah, they said from the jump, they weren't going to do turn-based. Like they, they said it a long time ago. They said, we're doing this and, and like to still be frustrated about it, I think is like, go play Octopath. So if you, if you (laughs) want Dino Crisis, go play Signalis. (laughs) That game, that game owns. I I just like the idea of Octopath 2 being a solution to like, you know, your problem. Uh, Go play Octopath 2. Go go play Octopath Traveler 2 about it. Yeah. I I went to the doctor and said, I I can't find any good turn-based RPGs anymore. He said, go play Octopath 2. But doctor, I've platinumed Octopath 2. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, I am Octopath 2. (laughs) I am Octopath (laughs) Old darn tootin' I am Particio Octopath too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. So I mean, Exoprimal, it, it's on Game Pass, and I think that's the most ideal way to engage with it. Is if you have Game Pass and you have friends with Game Pass, then you don't have to put the sixty dollars down, and you can just go shoot some dinosaurs and see if it's for you. But I think it's really probably not going to survive in the long term because it is a $60 video game with live service elements and battle passes and stuff like that. So yeah, yeah, it's, it's decent. It's fine. It's not anything amazing. It's not anything terrible. It exists and I'm having a decent amount of fun playing it, but I will probably not be playing this game two months Mm. from now. So yeah, exactly. I don't know if anyone will. That's a problem with games like that. Nadia, what have you been playing? Uh, this kind of segues into the news we were just talking about very briefly uh, about how people have been saying that maybe uh, Tears of the Kingdom took something from Elden Ring. Like, is that what they're kind of are people making that like accusation? Oh no, the or... Tears of the King. Well, they did the thing uh, where they went to the Tears of the Kingdom developers and were like, "So, what do you think of Elden Ring?" And they were like, "Oh, oh we were busy making Tears of the Kingdom. We didn't have time to play Elden Ring." Yeah, yeah. I find that very interesting because I know obviously the two couldn't influence each other that much that they were being developed side by side for the most part. But something about the underground in Zelda reminds me so, so much of FromSoft's environments. And that's a like good the, thing. Like the Sofa River and stuff like that? Yeah, just there's so many. Everything has mysterious names and there's just nothing to tell you what the depths are about beyond what you can discern from your visual clues. And again, that's very FromSoft. And I think FromSoft, again, is a fantastic environmental storytellers. And now I can say very easily, oh, I think Nintendo crosses that line as well. Because mm. there's like you go around the underground and you can glean clues from where you are and what's going on. But only from like the Yiga strongholds, like they kind of write journals about what they see and what, you know, what confuses them. And you kind of take that in yourself. Things like 
the soldiers ghosts standing on the hills mm. holding pristine mm-hmm. weapons that are not affected by the gloom what is with that i don't know i just love it when a this is the kind of thing a youtuber could have a great time with like i i listen to sometimes youtubers about like uh elden ring lore and mm-hmm. i'd love to do the same thing with like this particular game if i could find a good video maybe i'll oh. look around I've got some links for you after. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, because it's just really expert storytelling. And I admire that because Nintendo's very like, oh, story second. We care about the gameplay first. But it's so it's intertwined so well this time around. And I was actually looking back at the movies for Breath of the Wild. And I have to give them more credit. Like at first I didn't like them very much. And some of them are kind of lame. But the the movie where Zelda like you know has her breakdown and she says I left behind my father to to, I killed them all and like you know just kind of breaks down I think that's still done really really well so yeah good on Nintendo they're good storytellers but they don't really wave it in your face as for me I've been playing Final Fantasy 16 on and off I completed the first major arc um I have my criticisms for the game but by and large I'm enjoying it I think my I, I wasn't a huge fan of uh, what they, who's what's the name of the female villain? I can't remember her name. Oh, Benedicta. Yeah. 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 I mean, her whole thing is like, uh, I'm caught between these two men. Like, so much of her arc is defined by her feelings toward these men, and a lot of things happen with her. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, okay. But the the fights were pretty cool. Has some. Uh, pretty cool uh shall i say um set piece battles uh very nice graphics and everything um it's uh i don't know if i have particularly strong feelings about final fantasy 16 at this moment it's not enough that i want to quit but it's not enough that i'm completely hooked in mm. yeah, no yeah. More time i would say yeah sure. I, no I'm, I'm i'm like i'm playing i'm chugging along at it and everything um i wouldn't say but yeah like it's it's good yeah i i think it's interesting i i was having some talks with some folks recently and i i'm someone who obviously came away from 16 loving it um well did you come away loving it yes loving its peaks i think its peaks are just absolutely huge massive fantastic um but i think there are also very legitimate criticisms and depending on how heavy those criticisms weigh it down, I absolutely understand why there people are. There was a good hard drive con- uh, headline about yes. that. Yeah. Yeah. What was the, it? My one, my one criticism of a game I otherwise love or stuff like that. Cause so many people are getting like feral. People got about really salty about that. Yeah. <laughs> I love hard drive. It's, really weird because like i like this game a lot for what it pulls off and also completely understand why some of the valleys like dip this game lower than it does in my view like that's a completely understandable and normal thing one criticism disclaimer we like the game a final fantasy 16 which is good that the game could have done better please don't hurt us it's really just this one thing (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) and then there were so many mad fans in the comments final i have to say because Final Fantasy has been kind of getting a lot. Well, Final Fantasy's dead. Uh, Final Fantasy's having a hard time. A lot of all the Final Fantasy fans have become unhinged and are well, going. Ugh. Everyone's feral. 
How there's dare. infighting too. There's infighting within Final Fantasy fandom. Like oh, there's if like, you say, "Oh, I don't think Final Fantasy 16 is Final Fantasy enough." They get so mad. <laughs> yeah, so I, mad. Ultimately, I was very happy with the game and the things it pulls off and the things it does and I, I know I've said this th- like four times on this podcast now, but like it is the it is the PS5 game to me that if you have a PS5 and you've been wanting a PS5 as hmm. PS5 game, then it's the one that you should play because I don't think outside of maybe like Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart, what I don't think there's Resident any Resident Evil 4 remake. It just looks shiny. <laughs> like, I don't I don't think it I don't think it has that. It's also an old game like you, I'm sorry. I know there will be someone who hates me for this, but like RE4 remake is a remake of an old game. What and about I would argue, RE Village? That's that's a last gen game. It was really? a PS4 Xbox one. It was a PS4 Xbox one game. OK, that's that's what I'm what saying. What about it's Horizon like, Forbidden West? I don't like Burning Horizon. Shores DLC. You know I don't. You know I don't like Horizon. What about <laughs> God of War Ragnarok? Also a last gen game. It okay. is. Like like this is this is what I'm saying is this has kind of been the weird thing with Sony is that they haven't had a lot of actual PS5 exclusives. They've had Deathloop, Ratchet and Clank, Final Fantasy 16, uh, the Burning Shores DLC, Astrobot's Playroom, like they they are hmm. still a lot of companies are still foot in the previous generation and horizon or horizon Final fantasy 16 does feel like that moment of like i am playing a ps5 game i am playing a game that i've mm-hmm. bought a new console to play and i haven't had that experience a lot on any of my new systems i'd probably feel the same way if i had an xbox series x like this is not please console warriors listening to this who want to get in my mentions don't but it's... i have to say that the line between the ps4 and the ps5 is shockingly thin mm-hmm. like playing elden ring it is yeah yeah elden ring looks incredible and it's a ps4 slash xbox one game mm-hmm. uh, but i think the solid state drive to me makes all the difference yeah the loading is it so makes like... a difference it's a higher quality of life yeah it's nice oh, I, it's so nice though i like my ps5 i like Sometimes I turn on my Xbox. Shout out to my controller, my my PlayStation Five controller, which has decided to drift. Oh no! Oh, I've already. I'm had telling to you, it's the haptics. Yeah, it's the haptics. It's, it's, it's the ha- same. It's totally it the haptics. It's the yeah. same with the Switch. Absolutely, which is starting to yeah. drift too. Yay! My third set. I mean, we're gonna get a PS Five Slim next year, probably. That's what I'm betting. It's like they're gonna have they're gonna redo this thing at some point in the very near future. I don't know about I, Xbox. I don't think Xbox is gonna get a a different console. I like it was a box. It's just a big fridge. What else do you need in life? I'll say this for Xbox: their controllers are consistently way better than anybody else's. Um, oh, I love a good Xbox. All the controller. like all yeah. of the gimmicks with the Dual Sense. Um, like when I'm playing FF16, it's like haptics, haptics. And I'm like, okay, chill out. <laughs> yeah, no, I. Haptics can be used very effectively. Like I played Jet, which is a kind yeah. of overlooked game that I really liked, and the haptics there were incredible. But uh, if you just have like random, brrr, like I'm just like, yeah, I get out. Of I here. like the ergonomics but, of the uh, of the Dual Sense. Mm-hmm. It feels really Same. good in my hands. Um, but I everything else D-band. about it, I wish know. the triggers felt better. I don't like. They so yeah. feel bad. This, this is like the weird thing about the way Sony does triggers versus how Xbox does triggers is Xbox will have like kind of a backing on the trigger that you press it into kind of like almost the GameCube. 
but Sony always has it to where you like curl. I, I have a dual sense here. I can do this um, where you have to like curl it in and it just feels like you're you're like, I don't know. That's like a bad disconnect right there where there's a lot of like wiggliness here, whereas like I've got a pro controller and it just feels like a little bit better to, to click that one in. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Um, so, yeah, uh, FF16. I love the dog. The dog oh, is Torgal's great. Yeah. Um, because the game is so forgiving. Um, I was talking about this in the pre-show. It feels a little, a little rote. So I've died a couple times on bosses, and it's just put me right back at a checkpoint more than halfway through the boss and refilled my potions. And I'm like, oh, okay, mm-hmm. well, I don't even have to think about the combat that much, which... I wish that I could. Is there a way to change, turn up the difficulty? Because I'm on, no. I'm already at battle mode or whatever. Yeah, that yeah. is the only difficulty until you beat the game and unlock Final Fantasy mode and Ultimania, which is the like. I would sort like of that to be available from the beginning. Die. Yeah, I think that I would have better feelings about this game if that was available from the beginning. I'm not saying yeah. that. Oh, this game isn't a real game unless it's hard, but. Uh, it feels almost like I'm watching a TV show now as opposed to playing a game. I'm just like, it becomes, it feels more mindless as a result, even though I'm like, I don't hate the combat. In this the, the the weird thing about it is that they also, Final Fantasy mode is harder and they also remix everything. And you also have all your iconic abilities that you unlock throughout the course of the original game unlocked at the beginning. Mm-hmm. So I remember them talking early in the press tour about how like Final Fantasy mode, like that's the one where it gets like, we really push you to use all your stuff. And I get why narratively they have to do the, you only get an icons abilities after certain points in the story. And I get why all of that was pushed out, but then it just makes it feel like, Oh, the real run is the second run. And it's like, that doesn't feel no, great no, in no, a 60 no. hour RPG. Setting, I'm not doing you know? a second run square. I'm, yeah. I'm just not. <laughs> I, I think that was maybe and I've seen a lot of people say that, oh, I wish 16 was Devil May Cry, where it was like a 10 to like 12 hour game that they could just do runs of. And Hmm. I don't know if I fully agree with that, but I do wish that there was some way to do a version of that game, maybe on your second time through where it is like just put me on the critical path where I can do all the coolest stuff and with all my abilities unlocked and all that. I I don't know. I guess that's boss rush mode or, or arcade mode, as they call it. Somebody said they would die for Torgo. I agree. Mm-hmm. Uh, there have been a couple times where Torgo's gone hurt, and I'm like, how dare? Whoa. But they, they, and every time I see Yoshida with that little Torgo plush, I'm like, oh, it's so good. I like this game a lot more. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's expert marketing, I have to say. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a memorable game, and I want to have warm feelings to it. So uh, I will, I will share more. As I continue through the game. By the way, there is one scene that I swear to God is lifted directly from Witcher 2, which is Clive in the dungeon, um, uh, suspended with chains, uh, shirtless. And mm-hmm. I'm yeah. like, the camera angles are almost exactly the same as yeah. the beginning yeah. of Witcher 2. Yeah. Of Assassin Kings. Yeah. Yeah. It's so I feel catch. like that's a direct reference. IMO. 
Or else it's just like, uh, well, no, this is just dark fantasy. And we how we should talk more about The Witcher 2 Assassin of Kings. Like, that's... I, I've tried to do it on Pantheon twice. That's a and solid video like, game no, right there. No, no. One, one day I'm just going to make... Just gonna mm-hmm. force people to pick which. We're just two. gonna have a pantheon of the games so we keep trying to force on people. Yeah, so, <laughs> so ten to Witcher two, Sentinels. Legend of Grimrock, <laughs> uh, that one. Um, what was the visual novel that everybody likes? Um, Thirteen Sentinels. Is Thirteen the Sentinels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, we're gonna do all of them, and then Thirteen Sentinels will get picked because we have a lot of mm-hmm. Jap- Japanese. Oh, RPG. yeah. No, we're we're gonna roll through like that. Sixth time is the charm, baby. <laughs> we're doing it. All right. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. It's time now for the Summer of Korra. The series in which we watch through The Legend of Korra. Somebody just dropped off from our weekly live show. As tends to happen. Spoilers are off. We're in the midst of uh, book three. Uh, Nani mm-hmm. and I watched episodes seven through nine because we don't know how to, what's the word, uh, listen to instructions. No, we're bad at that. I've always so we're going to make up for it. After this episode, we're going to do a live watch along with our Stars of Destiny and talk about The Legend of Korra and uh, do a little commentary. That's going to be our post show this week. So if you want if you want more for episode 10, post show. Let's do it. All right. So seven through nine. I have to say, episode seven is the worst episode of Legend of Korra so far, and one of the worst Avatar: The Last Airbender episodes I've ever Ooh. seen. Which one was that? That's the uh, the episode with the poachers, and yeah. Tenzin is trying to uh, train uh, up the Airbenders. It is yeah. a very like Tenzin and the Airbenders episode. I think that's another one where you don't really see Korra or the others at all. Yeah, yeah. she wasn't around. I mean, as a slice of life episode, it could have been done, but it feels very clumsy. I don't think Tenzin's characterization is done especially well. Boomy's okay. Uh, Boomy's okay. They're fighting like these cartoon poachers that feel mm-hmm. very like Saturday morning cartoon-ish. Um, Avatar the Last... It, it got very much into the same situation with Avatar the Last Airbender where they... Um, sometimes they would be like, uh, well, actually we're a kid show. So, um, yeah. I guess Aang is going to have dreams where he shows up to fight the fire Lord naked or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. like that's how we represent his anxiety. Yeah, no, this one was a captain planet episode. I, I did like <laughs> the baby air bison. That was adorable. Uh-huh. They were cute. Uh-huh. I like how they, uh, they just start to float and they have no idea what's going on. They just start 
thrashing their legs like oh god what's going on yeah i i think it's the moment where they try to really emphasize that this is a broader show than just cora where it's like we have entire cast now and and we want to show you like what's going on with how tenzin is training all these airbenders and we're trying to get you used to some of these newer characters that we're introducing like kai and uh, even Boomy, who's been like very recontextualized Kai, just, now, he really is a scrappy. Oh my god, he is a scrappy. He needs to go. Such yeah. a scrappy dude. I, I, Kai sucks. I'm sorry, Kai sucks. <laughs> He's. I don't like Kai. He needs someone to torment him the way that uh, that character I like from Tales of Asperia is always uh, tormented by Rita. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, we needed like uh, make Asami do it. Need she needs Jr. something to do. Yeah. She's mostly just hanging out, t- not saying anything. Yeah. Speaking of it, at Episode eight is one of the better episodes. Of, episode of eight three, has, I think. I think, one of my all-time favorite uh, action scenes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so mm-hmm. you have the Dark Avatar gang trying to kidnap Korra, and everybody comes out and manages to trap them. But then they're kind of in a, um, they're trapped and they're fighting back to back, and they're using their powers all in extremely interesting ways. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the metal benders are trying to trap them with the metal. Um, they're my- managing to fight it off. Uh, it was really, uh, it shows how much the show has developed its concept of bending because mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we've gone so far beyond just the water, earth, air, fire concepts. Now you have a lava bender and a, uh, weird art wiggly arm bender i think and they just called her hey uh here comes water arm lady and uh lava guy like what's uh what's the third eye like incineration bender combustion combustion bender oh yeah combustion bender what is the yeah. combustion bender how come all of the fire has like a million different types just lightning and lava and combustion mm-hmm. oh no lava is earth bending specifically lava is earth bending Yes. Oh, that makes yeah. sense. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, there's a scene where mm-hmm. uh, Bolin is throwing the rocks and, and like the lava is just eating him. And uh, Bolin says, I'm just giving this guy fuel. And y- you also that see Gazan do earthbending as well. Yeah, but that was an interesting example of like just for a change, you can actually see that there are types that are weak to other types, very Pokemon ish. And in this case, you see like the limits of bending against like masters and i think that was interesting i i really enjoyed uh, i think back to the avatar the last airbender uh where zuko and ang fight for like the first time and you're like oh it's on now but then it's actually not that good of a fight it's a little bit Mm. it's a little bit simplistic whereas in this one they spend so much time being visually creative and both sides feel like I was expecting them to get away. So I was mm-hmm. not expecting that they would actually manage to trap them and put them into a situation where they would fail. It, it was a really well done mm-hmm. uh, sequence. I really enjoyed it. And the dark avatar gang, somebody called them the four fiends of legend of Korra. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think perfect. we, I think we have their official name now, which is the red Lotus. Oh yeah. Um, the red Lotus. Which, right, right. Or yeah, we, we at least Lotus. get like very formally introduced to them during the stakeout, which is where, after Korra and the gang have discovered how they got into how they got into Zaofu in the first place, you know, oh, the guy who tells truth and detects all the truth is the one lying. <laughs> as soon as the, as soon as he was like, oh, it's this guy. He's the liar. Like I uh, turned to Amy and I said, oh, that's the guy. 
He's the one who's mm-hmm. co- corrobor- mm-hmm. collaborating. And then, of course, Mako's like, does the shifty eyes. I'm like, oh, yeah, Mako suspects. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mako, Mako, <laughs> Mako, cop cop Mako cop, he <laughs> used his cop uh, senses. He, he rolled on that perception. Uh, he got the insight. Uh, insight check. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, so they follow Iway to the Oasis and then find out that uh, Iway is meeting with Zaheer in the spirit world. And I love that Zaheer just straight up like grabs Iway and tosses him into the fog of lost souls. Yes. He's like, get out of here. Bye. <laughs> and he's still sitting there like asleep and stuff. Oh, yeah. and you're like, oh, oh well, yeah. cool. Well, that sucks for that guy. It's very dark, actually. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a very dark ending to that character's life. Um, so Zaheer has become like an evil Aang. Like, he still has the bit. avatar yeah. get up with the shaved head and everything. He hasn't changed back. I feel like that's a really intentional look for him. I mean, so I, part of it was he was trying to infiltrate the airbenders. But I think as becomes more obvious as as we watch into the season that he also has a great respect for a lot of airbender philosophy, specifically Guru Lahima and, and all of the, the teachings that he keeps referencing. He steals the pendant from the airbender temple. Um, And even his own philosophy lines up with a traditional air nomad philosophy, right? Like the air nomads. um, If you remember from like stuff we've learned throughout the avatar series, we're very detached from the world. They, yeah, they believed that the world would settle its own problems and they just had to live in harmony with that. And so the sort of detached nomadic lifestyle really fits in with Zaheer's view as he lays it out, which is that um, things like tyrants and, and stuff like that rulers have led to a lot of the calamities. He's a libertarian. <laughs> no, he's well, so he's supposed to be an anarchist. He's like, I hate government. Yeah, yeah he's definitely an anarchist. He's supposed to be an anarchist. I there are some rightful criticisms of how they tinge that to be uh like villainous in a way that anarchism in real life is not always, but also like I think Zaheer is supposed to be a flawed character That's and it, those flaws are important in his philosophy. So yeah, I, I think Zaheer is a really, really compelling and interesting villain because even while he's talking to Korra and he's basically just stalling her for time. He, Cora's being like, oh, you are right. The Earth Queen kind of sucks. Yeah, <laughs> it would does. be kind of nice does. if she was gone. Did she? Yeah. Did you catch the bit where there's a remember about how she ate the previous king's bear? Remember the bear? Yep, yep. She ate the bear. Oh, oh my god. The bear. The bear. Mm-hmm. The platypus bear. He was just a bear. Mm-hmm. What a dark ending for that bear. Yep. R.I.P. <laughs> R.I.P. to the bear. I'll never be able to watch Avatar The Last Airbender again. I think it's a really interesting thing that they do here where they lay out like why the red lotus is doing what it's doing and this even sort of it being like in opposition to the white lotus which was the organization that iroh and all the others had founded and and kind of like revealed themselves to the world at the end of avatar the last airbender and how they've become kind of these maintainers of an order that is in the red lotus's view destroying the world and so it's it's all very interesting i like it a lot yes the main thing of Korra, which is articulated by Zaheer, of all people, is change is inevitable and you mm. can't stop it, not even if you are the Avatar. The world is changing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that it is. Book three is called Change for a reason. And I think it's a very interesting 
book because of that, because we get to see the world change in a way that I don't think we ever really got to see with Aang. Um, no. Even the world that we've seen so far has changed so much and will continue to change. And it's all about where does the avatar fit into that as mm-hmm. the world changes. So just like in real life. Well, we're going to go watch episode 10 just in a hot minute. But first, Nadia, take us home. talking about summer this is actually a perfect time to bring up like i i just mentioned it earlier my summer job which was uh, uh what do they call it ecology quote unquote now here's the thing when you apply for a job at a big uh theme park like canada's wonderland you kind of have to get there quickly it's re- recruitment starts around february because all the good jobs go fast and of course by the time i got there it's like you had three options food service uh merchandise or ecology which was barf mopper basically so i said to myself i don't want to stand behind a fryer i don't want to stand behind a cash register yeah i'll have to clean toilets and see some horrible things and most of my crew will be smoking weed instead of working but you know what Mm. i'm gonna go to ecology because i like the idea of i can walk around and that was miserable enough in the heat i can't even imagine being behind a fryer or something i i had a lot of freedom, maybe too much freedom. But the thing is, I'm also terrified of throwing up. I forgot the name, Edematovic. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I I have a thing about that. So I'm saying to myself, oh, God, okay, I have this, I want this job, but someone might throw up and I'll have to clean it. So I said, I resolve not to clean up any barf at this job. Mm. Give me anything Mm -hmm. else. But if someone barfs, I am over there and you can find someone else. So I got off. I was, it all worked out, except on the very last day. Someone barfed in my area. It was, a, it was, it was everywhere, on a mm-hmm. table that was shaped like Fred Flintstone's car. So some poor kid was just like yabba dabba, like <laughs> pizza, pizza everywhere. So I was like, you know what? I had a good summer. I'll, I'll take this L. I'll, I'll manage. Uh, but I mean, I think the most interesting cleanup was. <laughs> There's a, a roller coaster called the Ghoster Coaster. It has like a, a Scooby Doo theme, and some kid, it was too much for them, and they peed themselves on the, on the Ghoster oh Coaster. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Like, we need someone to clean up the Ghoster Coaster. It's like, okay, well, pee is not going to hurt anyone. Uh, I will say, though, as a final note, if you have children, do not let them into a ball pit. Do not <laughs> ever, ever, ever. Not unless you want them to get the, you want them to be the vector of some interesting mutant disease just don't thank you have a good summer (laughs) and that's it for this week's episode of acts of the blood god thank you so much for listening i've been your host cat bailey you can follow me on twitter at the underscore catbot nadia's at nadia oxford and eric is at c moosey if you enjoy the show please support us you can get the series ad free for just one dollar over on patreon patreon.com slash bloodgodpod where you can join our Discord as well. We are heading into the post-show with our Stars of Destiny. Thanks to so much to them for their generous support, where we're going to be watching Legend of Korra, episode 10, which will be available on our post-show uh, when this episode goes live. Until then, for Nadia, Eric, myself, thanks for listening. 
and happy adventuring. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you.